I uh, read about a missionary in a Buddhist country, and as you know, Buddhists uh, have the concept of nirvana, reaching nirvana at a certain point. And this missionary gave a Buddhist man a copy of the Gospels and Acts, and he said, you know, um, read through this and we'll discuss it. So next time he saw the guy, he said, so how was it? What, what did you think of what you read? And the guy said, it was phenomenal. Um, Jesus, he was incarnated, and uh, then he was reincarnated four times, and then he reached nirvana. And, and he was blown away because this Jesus guy had, had only reincarnated four times and then he reached nirvana. And that was, you know, reading because he read through the Gospels four times and he thought each one was a reincarnation. And then he thought in Acts when he as, you know, ascended or whatever, that was reaching nirvana. And so that was really impressive to him. But it's a funny example of how if you don't really know the context of what you're reading, like you can come up with some really wild stuff, eh? But it's also... It's, it's, it serves also to, as an example, though, that like we, when you read through the writings of Yeshua's apostles, you read many of the same stories four times in a row. So, for instance, you read about the Master's brutal crucifixion, his execution at the hands of the Roman state, you read about it four times in a row. And if you're someone who's committed to studying the Scriptures, you've covered that story dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, in the course of your life. And it's really easy to get desensitized to the story. Like the brutality of it, the, the gore of it, the, 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 the agonizing pain that Yeshua went through. And, and heaven forbid that that would ever happen, eh? So just, I just encourage you, uh, just be, be conscious about that. Remember, like this is your dear rabbi, this is your beloved savior. Uh, just let, let the whole scene play out before your eyes again and again and again. And let it, let it um, endure your heart to him more every time. Make sure it never becomes a, a rote thing or just something that you go through. Because I know for me, it's really easy for me to let that happen. Eh? I just read it like a story and I forget this was a real person who happens to be my closest friend and someone that I really care about and about how he was brutally murdered. And uh, let's, let's remember that. Um, in in, in um, his letter to a community in the city of Corinth, uh, Shaul, Yeshua's emissary, wrote in chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel, which is the good news or message, which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Everybody say first importance. What I also received, that Mashiach died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So did you get that? Shaul said, this was the punch of my message. This was the thing that was of first importance when I came to you in your city to deliver a message to you. The most important thing I had to tell you is simply this. Yeshua died for our sins. Just like the Tanakh said he would. And they buried him. He was really dead. Everybody say really dead. And he was raised from the dead. Just like the Tanakh said would happen. He said, that is, that is the punch of my message. And he said, that's the gospel. That's the core of the gospel. He said, this is what you received from me when I preached it to you. This is, this is what you stand by. So like, if you lose your footing in this, you're going you're gonna to get knocked down. You're going to be out of the fight. You're going to be flat on your face. And then he said, 
by which also you're saved. So like there's something about this core message. The Yeshua died for our sins and he was raised from the dead, just like the Tanakh says. That is what saves you. That is what will save the people in your neighborhood and city. If you believe it and hold on to it, he said. Wow. So I I just want to look at that for a second with you because that's the story we just read. We just read the detailed narrative of Yeshua being crucified and dying, being buried, and then his inner circle sees him after he was raised from the dead. So maybe you can just shout out to me in a couple, like, in, in just short sentences, like, why did Yeshua die? Why did he die? For our sins? To save us all? For healing? To restore us into covenant relationship? Yeah, so that we can have eternal life by believing in him? Validate the covenants of the fathers. That's true. He, he, his death accomplished a lot. And to fulfill the word of God, right? Yeah, the promise for sure. And then following that thought, why was he raised from the dead? Same reasons. Okay. Yeah, it completed it. Yeah, if he hadn't, all those first things couldn't have happened. Right, he told his disciples he would do that, and that's what he did. That would be a severe downer if he said he was going to rise from the dead, and he didn't. And Yeshua can't lie. Okay, that's great. But there's just... Right, to fulfill the scripture that says, Death, where is your sting? Yep, to defeat the work of the enemy... So he could return to the Father and be our intercessor. So the Holy Spirit could be poured out. Hmm, so yeah, so he could be restored to the glory he originally had with the Father. Oh, that's excellent. Can, can, you just, can you just hear it though? Like, Yeshua died and Yeshua was raised from the dead. That was like the one-two punch of Paul's gospel. And there's so much in it. Like, as, as we're thinking about that, we're just beginning to unpack the very surface of the power of the gospel, hey? And there are two sides to the gospel too. You've probably heard me say this before. There's the the objective side of the gospel. It was a historical fact that Yeshua was crucified, that he was raised from the dead. It happened in history. That That is the objective side. The subjective side is, like we sang today, when he was crucified, you were crucified with him. You know, when, when we have been brought into that, that inner union with the Mashiach, when our spirits have been joined with His and the Holy Spirit, then His death became your death. And when the Father raised Yeshua from the dead, that life is the same life that raised you from the dead and is bringing you to life right now, eh? That's like the subjective side. So that's just something to think about. Like, that is the power that saved us. That's the power that's going to save the people in your neighborhood and in your city. So... Let's, let's look at Yeshua's final words in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, a person's last words before they die are you know, often very significant. And if, 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 uh, if a person has some last words before they all of a sudden lift off of planet Earth and ascend into the clouds, like those persons, that person's last words are even more significant. Eh? So... Yeah, message of love. 
So let's look at just the, the red letters here at the end. I'm just going to go through this with you and break it down almost word by word and share with you some of the things that I'm learning because I feel that when it comes to the charge that Yeshua gave that, that first generation of his disciples, like this is something I'm still very much learning about and I'm, and I, I'm on a quest to actually like do it. And I don't feel like I've done it very much so far, to be honest. So this is something I'm thinking about a lot. Uh, number one, Yeshua and his, his, his guys, they rendezvous up in the Galil. At the rendezvous point, it was some hill. Maybe it's a hill that they had, had gathered on often. When his guys saw them, what does it say they did? They bowed down. That's the same word for worshiping. So when Yeshua's guys saw him after he was raised from the dead up in the Galil at the rendezvous point, they worshipped him. So it is all right to worship the resurrected Son of God. Yeshua's guys worshipped him and he didn't say, Ah, stop, idolatry. On the contrary. That's the same word for when Satan came to Yeshua and said, Worship me and I'll give you everything. And Yeshua said it's written, Only worship Yahweh your God. Same Greek word there. Alright, that's the same word for what Yeshua's guys did to him when they saw him after he was raised from the dead. So that's, that's the first thing we see here. This is a man that they are intensely loyal to. He has truly won their hearts and their, their strongest allegiance to the point where they would worship him. They did worship him. Uh, he goes on to say, guys, and he didn't say guys of course, but you know, like when I think about how he'd say it to me, he says, all authority, the Greek word there is exousia, everybody say exousia, has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Uh, the word there for, ex, for authority, exousia, means the right to do something. You have the right to do something. So basically what it's saying is Yeshua has the right to execute the Father's plan, not only in the spiritual dimensions, but on planet earth also. There's no one who can say, no, I won't do that. There's no one who can say, no, you're wrong. Ultimately, what does it say? When Yeshua comes back, we'll see the full implementation of that exosia when every knee bows to Him and every knee confesses that He's Lord. And at that point, it won't be a voluntary thing of love. It will be a thing that people will have no choice about. I like, I like getting in on it early and bowing the knee to Him early just because I want to, because I love Him. It's, it's actually, a, we're like in this window of time when we can serve the Master because we want to voluntarily. There will come a time when that will not be a possibility anymore in the same way. So that's the first thing he specifies. Um, that is like laying the groundwork for the mission. In the Gospel of John, or Yochanan, it says that Yeshua appeared to his Talmudim, his disciples, when they were in a locked room, and it says he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of holiness. And then he said, something that's really smashing. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And that's the, that's the Greek verb for an apostle. Right? Yeshua was an apostle sent from the Father. He's saying, as I, as I am an apostle sent from the Father, you are my apostle sent from me. So that same authority that the Father invested in the Son, Yeshua is investing in his disciples to represent him on planet Earth. That's a very powerful concept. He goes on to say, therefore, because he has been given that authority and he has transmitted it to the community of his disciples, go. <laughs> when you actually look at the narrative, the apostles didn't go for a long time. They actually stayed within the confines of the land of Israel for at least a decade from uh, what history would suggest. And they eventually, yes, they did go to the nations. Um, 
There are two general approaches to how you make disciples. One is the go approach, the other is the come approach. And this is something I'm going to be unpacking more in the, in the next couple months. Um, Neil Cole, in his book Church 3.0, and also in his book Organic Church, does a really good job of unpacking this thought. But basically, the way we generally do church or synagogue today is the come approach. That's where we have a building, we have our weekly gatherings or whatever, and we say, come, come and visit us. Um, maybe we'll put, up, we'll put up advertising or billboards or we'll hand out tracks that say, come. Or uh, maybe we'll have special events, we'll bring in special speakers, we'll have a band, and we say, come. And the, uh, the assumption is, if we, if we uh, build the building, if we advertise, if we uh, have the special events, people from the neighborhood are going to come. And uh, it doesn't usually work. And the reason it doesn't work is because that's not how Yeshua said to do it. Yeshua didn't say, have people come. He said, you go. You go to the nations. You go to the people that I want to reach. Um, I'll, I'll read you a short quote along those lines. This is, a, this is a powerful quote. Yeshua wasn't asking his disciples to do something that he didn't do. Yeshua actually went from heaven and he went to earth. Yeshua goed to the world to reach people. And uh, that's an ongoing process. Yeshua is continuing to go to the nations through his people. Here's a quote from Neil Cole's book, Church 3.0. This is a great book. He says, The church is not sent on a mission by God. Rather, God is on on a mission, and the church is called to join him. Big difference, eh? There's a difference between Yeshua being, us being sent on a mission by Yeshua, and Yeshua being on the mission, and we're joining him in the mission. And you can see that with Yeshua as the forerunner who went to the nation of Israel and had a message that ultimately would go to the nations. Um, He goes on in the next page to say, In the Bible, God is always the seeker. And then a quote quote from John 4.23 where Yeshua says, The Father is seeking people to worship Him. The Father is seeking. Going after those who are lost, wherever they are to be found. He pursued Adam in a garden and Moses in a desert. He pulled Jonah off the bottom of the sea and Peter off the top of it. Jesus found Matthew in his office and Paul out on the road. God became a man and squeezed into the world through a narrow birth canal just like the rest of us. He chose to come to us on our turf rather than expecting us to rise to his. Jesus preached everywhere that, quote, the kingdom of God has come near. He came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10, and he now invites us to join him. He invites us to go to the lost rather than, as is so often the case, expecting them to come to us. As I've said before, if you want to reach this world for Christ, you're going to have to learn to sit in the smoking section because that is where the lost are found. (laughs) So, I thought Neil Cole did a great job like exemplifying that that concept. So maybe we can just draw a picture here to, um, to, uh, to illustrate the concept of going. Let's say, uh, let's say that we have Yeshua. We have Yeshua, let's say right here. He's up on the hill with his disciples. Hi, Tirza. Hi. You just love it when we draw pictures, don't you? Okay, there's Yeshua. And we'll draw... Some of his guys. 
and gals. I don't know if there were gals there, but definitely the mission that he gave was to guys and gals, all right? Okay, so what's the picture we could draw for going? Someone walking? Okay. Uh, how do I draw a walking stick person? There, the person's leg is out. Some dust behind him. Okay, little dust cloud there. He's going. What's that? Yeah, and uh, what before him? An arrow. Okay, we'll draw an arrow. And a finger pointing. Okay, we'll draw. A fi- I don't know if I could draw a finger pointing. That's a tough one. I'm sorry. <laughs> That'd be a really scary hand. Okay, yeah. So there's the concept of of going now. Generally, let's say even with, um, let's say the attractional model where we build the building, we have the events and we expect people to come. The flip side of that is people are expected to go as individuals, let's say to their family or to their neighborhood or whatever, and do the work as individuals. But I think that's missing the point because Yeshua gave that call to go to a community. And uh, when you look at the early Yeshua movement, what you'll often see is smaller groups of disciples that are like tightly bonded community meeting in homes. So they're literally going into neighborhoods. They're going into new cities. They're going in right into people's homes where people live, where stuff happens for good, for good or bad. Really, it's the home generally where the good, the bad, and the ugly happens. Eh? And we see these communities that, Yeshua, that are formed around Yeshua that he sent going right into homes. That's, that's something that doesn't happen as often anymore because we have a more building-centric model of doing community. So that's a big difference. There's a big difference between going as a bunch of individuals and going as like a band of brothers and sisters, as a tightly bonded community. So we'll, we'll look at some other um, connections between that in, in a minute. Um, Yeshua says, go and make disciples. Tommy Deem. Uh, it's a no-brainer. He didn't say make converts to a new religion. He said make disciples of who? There's an assumption there. Disciples of Yeshua. So in other words, people who are all about Yeshua, people who are following the Master, people whose identities as disciples are all wrapped up in Him. Uh, t- who can tell me what the Hebrew word for disciple is? Talmid, that's right. It's from the Hebrew verb lamad. Everybody say lamad. And it, what, what, what does it mean? It's a verb that means to teach. To teach or to. If you're on the receiving end of the teaching, what is that called? To learn. To learn, that's correct. So to be a Talmud simply means to be a learner, to be a student, to be someone who is on that path. So this is, this is something that's really hitting me. Like, it's, it's axiomatic that you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. So you teach what you know. You, your speech can be out of your head, facts that you've learned, information that you've uh, accrued, but ultimately you will reproduce what you are. So that's why sometimes you'll have someone, and you know, if you meet them, they seem like they really have their lives together, and uh, they just, they're saying all the right things, but let's say if you look at their, like, let's say just their, um, the circle of people that they're closest with, their family or something, they're reproducing something different than the front that they put up. You reproduce what you are. In terms of making disciples, you will, you will reproduce the kind of disciple that you are. So where does it start with making disciples? 
It starts with being a disciple. It starts with growing in your own discipleship to the Master. Uh, That's something that Paul said several times in his letters. He said, follow me as I'm following the Messiah. Imitate me as I'm imitating Messiah. And that's actually, I think that's, kind of, that's a pretty bold thing to say. That's almost audacious to, to say to a community of disciples, follow me, imitate me. And that's, that's where we're all going. We're all growing to the point where hopefully we can encourage new believers, you know, like imitate me as I'm imitating Yeshua. Follow me as I'm, imitating, as I'm following Yeshua. Maybe it isn't so much following a person as it's following along. You know, when you have a community of people following the Master, if you're a new believer, you become part of that community and you follow along. Yeah. Um, learning does involve study. Uh, for some people, study isn't their favorite thing, but there is a place to just get in the Word and study the teachings of Yeshua, learn the same Bible, the Tanakh, that he learned, uh, again, that's not something that you just do once a week. It's something that hopefully we're all doing on a daily basis. Learning under Yeshua. Um, this is cool. Paul actually once mentioned in one of his letters to a community, not that just they were learning about Messiah, but he, he, he said they're learning Messiah. How do you learn somebody? Can you, hear, can you hear the difference there? It's not just about like reading about somebody or getting information. It's like getting to know that person personally. Um, let, let's say in my marriage, I'm not just learning about my wife, I'm learning my wife. I, I'm learning what she likes and doesn't like, how she communicates and thinks, all of these things. And it's, it's beautiful because that's exactly what happens in our discipleship to the Master. It's not just reading about a guy that lived a long time ago and is somewhere out there in the cosmos. It's like getting to know him face to face because he is the Spirit in our midst. Like, you can't see him with your physical eyes, but Yeshua is here. And when you go home, like, he's in your home with you. It's, it's really incredible. Sometimes I think we have this dichotomy, like, the Holy Spirit's this one guy, and then Yeshua's the other guy, and somehow they're, they're pretty separate. And I mean, I, I, I do understand that concept. But on the other hand, Luke also said, for instance, in the book of Acts, there was this point where they had to make a decision whether to go overseas to, I think it was to Greece, or to... to, um, to um, make another turn down to Asia Minor or something. And he said, the spirit of Yeshua prohibited us from going into this area. So the Holy Spirit is Yeshua's spirit. So the Holy Spirit in you, that's Yeshua himself in you. It's like, it's not even like he's the, some guy out there in the cosmos. It's not even that he's just standing right next to you like, there's something really deep here in terms of his, his location. He's in you. Wow. Maybe that's the heart of discipleship, knowing him like that. Yeah. Um, in, in the Jewish world, if you became a disciple of a rabbi, um, you would you'd follow him around, because I guess if you didn't follow him around, like you're just not going to get to know him very well, especially when you don't have books or tapes or whatever, hey? But the idea is to follow him around so that you could learn his teachings and that you could, you could imitate him to the degree where you become like a little imitation of your rabbi. Maybe that's where like studying the word comes in, applying what Yeshua says, um, those kinds of things. Uh, Yeshua goes on to say, make disciples of all the nations. Um, I, I, I'm kind of moving away from using a lot of titles and terms that I've used to describe myself. Like, I'm really big right now on just saying I'm a disciple of Yeshua, keeping it really simple. Um, so I move, I'm kind of moving away from using terms like even Messianic Jew or Messianic Judaism. Um, but let's just look at it in that, in that frame, frame for a second. If, if you could say that those early disciples were like 
the first generation of Messianic Judaism, then the mission of Messianic Judaism, the mission of the original Yeshua movement, was to make disciples of the nations. Sometimes in Messianic Jewish circles, we tend to say, our job is just to reach the Jewish community and make disciples of the Jewish people. And there's a place for prioritizing reaching the Jewish people, you know, to the Gospels for the Jew first. But on the other hand, I, I, I personally feel that if we, if we exclusively focus on reaching the Jewish community, we're, we're missing, we're, we're dropping the mission. Like, our, our birthright as a movement is to make disciples of the nations, to reach the nations of the world. I believe that when we see a, a messianic Judaism that is, that is matured and fully developed, it will not just be about being the fifth branch of Judaism, it will be an entirely, it'll be something bigger than that. It'll be a movement that is impacting the nations of the world for the cause of the kingdom of God, for righteousness, for justice, for societal transformation in that way. That's a... That's, that's where I believe Messianic Judaism is going. It's bigger than just reaching the Jewish people. Um, Yeshua goes on to say, so you have new disciples, what do you do with them? First thing you do with them is you immerse them. Uh, the Greek verb there, baptismos, uh, that's where we get baptism from. It's actually kind of weird, I think. Like We have this word baptism, and it's a Greek word. Like We're just taking the Greek word and dragging it into English. Uh, and maybe because there's some controversy about whether, whether that means to sprinkle or to immerse or whatever. But I, 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 w- I would like to continue seeing us moving away from like words that don't make sense to most people in our culture, words that have really severe religious trappings, and moving to just words that are more neutral and that we use in English. So like immerse, I would suggest use the word immerse instead of baptize. And uh, there are a couple of reasons that I believe that that word there does mean immersion. Uh, that's the word for dyeing a piece of cloth. How do you dye a piece of cloth? You have to dip it in the dye. You have to soak the cloth in the dye. You have to immerse the cloth in the dye. If you just sprinkle the dye on the cloth, you're going to have a really, really interesting dye job. It'll look like something straight out of the 60s um, or something like that. So that's the Greek verb for baptismos. Um, it has the idea of dunking, right? dunking people. Um, in, in many branches of the church world, babies are sprinkled. Um, I don't know, how, have any of you been um, baptized as an infant? Okay, that's called pedo-baptism, right? And um, a lot of people would say, well, you know, like my parents baptized me a child. That's, that's good enough. I would suggest if you've been baptized in, as an infant when you grew up, I, I would encourage you to be immersed again by, 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 your, by your own choice as a public decor- declaration of your faith in Yeshua. Uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, Yeshua said be immersed. And when you're a baby, you can't make the choice whether to do that or not. You can't actually choose Yeshua when you are not even a month old. Um, Also, Paul taught in Romans chapter 6 that being immersed in water is a picture of your union with Messiah in his death and his resurrection. And it would be nice if it could happen, but babies just generally can't enter into that a union with Messiah until they reach an age where they can choose him for themselves. And I don't, I don't understand everything about how babies work, but we, I think we can infer that much there. So Yeshua has given us a mission to immerse disciples in his name. In the name, in the name did you notice that? Not the names, but the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you have not been immersed yet yourself, you are not in a position to tell new disciples that they need to be immersed. So if you haven't been immersed yet, the first step for you is to be baptized yourself. Make that choice, and then you will have the joy of seeing new people come to Yeshua, and you'll have the joy of getting to immerse them also.
And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. As we have new people coming into the community, as we have new believers, I would suggest to you, like, it's not the job of the minister or the pastor or whoever your, your clergy is, because we're, like, we're a clergyless community in that sense. It's not that guy's job to do the immersing, even though that's often how it's done in the church world. I would suggest to you it's, the best way to do it is to have the person who is most influential in seeing that person come to faith, have that person do the immersing. So if you have someone who comes to faith and becomes part of our community as a result of your influence in their lives, you get to, you get to do the baptizing. Yeah, and that, that is something to look forward to. It really is. It's not something for professionals. It's not something for experts. Yeshua wasn't speaking to a bunch of clergymen when he said, baptize. He was speaking to a bunch of laymen that had just spent several years with him. He was talking to regular blue-collar worker dudes. I think that's really cool. Um, Yeshua went on to say, uh, teach them to uh, keep, guard, observe everything that I commanded you. Now, most people would understand this, like, let's say even in the evangelical world, to be like the commandments that Yeshua said in the Gospels. So, you know, most people's understanding would be, if Yeshua said it, and if it's in the red letters, then that's what we are to teach people. And I think that is the core of it. That's the place to start. But here's the question. What if what Yeshua commanded his disciples included elements of the Torah? What if it included some of the, what if the, some of the laws in the Pentateuch? I, I, I have a proposition to you today. I believe that that did include the Torah. I believe that when Yeshua said, teach new disciples to keep everything that I commanded you, he was talking about the, the mitzvot, the commands of God in the Pentateuch also. Um, I have a couple reasons for this. Number one, who Yeshua was. Yeshua was and is the God of Israel. Yeshua was the Malach, the messenger through whom the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. There was no page saying Old Testament and another page saying New Testament in the Bibles of the early believers. It was the scriptures were a coherent and complete unit. I'll give you a couple of verses just from the book of Matthew that would suggest that the Torah was part of the commandments that Yeshua gave his disciples that we are on a mission to teach to the nations of the world. Um, number one, Matthew chapter five, you know this one. Yeshua says, in his kingdom, it's those who practice the commandments of the law and teach others to do the same. Even the least of the commandments, the little ones who are great. And I'm assuming those words weren't canceled when Yeshua was raised from the dead, when the new covenant was inaugurated through his, the setting of his blood. Um, he went on to also say in Matthew, I think, 23, the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, therefore everything that they teach you, i.e. everything that they teach you from the seat of Moses, from the written Torah, do it. Observe it. So there's a straight out commandment from the Master in the red letters to keep the Torah. Um, he also said... With, when he was um, castigating the Pharisees for like majoring on the minors and forgetting all about the majors, he said, these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. There he was talking about tithing your garden herbs. Like being really scrupulous in some of the lesser commandments. He said, these are the things, yeah, you, you should be doing these things. But don't neglect the weightier matters of the Torah like a mercy, justice, faithfulness. Um, he also said, and this is red letters, where he was talking about his disciples fleeing in, in conjunction with he, what he said would be like the greatest distress the world has ever seen. He said, pray that your flight won't be on Shabbat. So again, the assumption there is that the Messianic community, followers of Yeshua, will be keeping Shabbat. 
And they'll be so serious about keeping Shabbat, they will prefer not even to travel long distances on Shabbat. You know, it's like if we have to flee, at least please let it be on a weekday. Don't let it be on the day of rest. Right, so those, those are some examples just from the red letters in the Gospel of Matthew alone that would suggest that when Yeshua said, go to the nations and make disciples and teach them to keep everything that I commanded you, I believe that included the Torah. That, that's my personal understanding of it. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is something that doesn't go over very well often in the Western culture. Because in Western culture, we're highly individualistic and we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like people getting involved in our business. Right? We have very high... Like, we have a very high value for freedom. And that's good. Like, heaven forbid that we would have anything less than total freedom in our faith community. But you know what? Sometimes to teach people, like, to do everything that Yeshua commanded us, people are going to be like, I don't want to do that. That's not how I see it. There are going to be times when, like, if you don't love actively, engage with people on a personal level, like, really get to know people in real life settings, you're just, it's just not going to happen, eh? And, um, you know, so if you're, if you're a, a more mature disciple and you're teaching people to do what Yeshua said, hopefully you're doing it yourself, number one. And secondly, you're going to have to be engaging with new believers. And it's going to be messy sometimes. You're going to have to be modeling stuff. You're going to have to be kind of giving the how-tos, right? Showing how certain things are done. And if you're a new disciple, then you're going to have to have an attitude of humility, of willingness to learn, reasonableness, and willing to be like, yeah, you know, I've never done that before, but Yeshua said to do that, and I'm a disciple, and so I'm going to do that. Well, that's that's a, kind of like there's a certain attitude, right, that precedes being able to, uh, being able to do that. Yeah, and, you know, I, I mentioned this already, but, like, when Yeshua was speaking to those guys, he was speaking to a community that had formed around him. He wasn't speaking to a bunch of individuals, and then they were going to just go out and do their own little lives and fulfill this charge, he gave this job to a community. So I, I love that, like, because we are a community. So it's not about you or you or just me going out and doing the stuff that Yeshua said. It's like all of us together are on a mission in our city to do that. I love that. Um, there's, there's this saying, like, it takes a village to raise a child. I think our, our equivalent of that would be it takes a community to make a disciple. It takes a community to make disciples. Yeah. Um, if, if you were to ask me like where all of this starts, like where the rubber meets the road, I would say it starts with influence. This is all about influence. Like you influence someone to come to trust Yeshua. You influence someone to say, I want to follow him too. You influence someone to be immersed in his name. It takes influence to see someone's life change and begin to do what Yeshua said. This is all about influence, hey? Influence happens in the context of friendship, usually, where someone trusts somebody else. You've probably seen that, right? You, you all have people in your life where it's like, you know what, that person is a friend of mine. I trust that person. And, uh, and, and, and that person influences me. My guard, my, I let my guard down around that person, eh? Um, sometimes the way we operate, especially if we're from an evangelical background, is like we kind of see the world as over there and primarily evil, and then we are over here and we are like the bastion of, of the kingdom of God on earth, and we're in the trench, and we're just hunkering down and waiting for Jesus to come and get us out of this place. Like often that's our approach, right? I suggest to you that's not a good way to make disciples. 
Because it starts with relationships with people. It starts with you having influence in a person's life based on the trust level that you have with them. So if you have no friends who are believers, if you're not like involved in your, in your community, you're probably not going to be influencing many people for Yeshua. It's just a given. Right? It's like it's not like this huge, like mysterious thing. Sometimes it's just like where the rubber meets the road, really practical stuff. So on a practical level, you know, like for each one of us, let's just, let's be really sensitive to the Father and saying, maybe he'll be saying like, I want you to get involved in this special interest group. I want you to get involved in this club. Or I want you to just go say hey to your neighbor. Get to know your neighbors. Have them over. Because that that is the place where influence starts. Yeah, and I mean, that does take time. It takes, some, it takes work. It takes some intentionality, right? right? That's something, actually, that's been really hitting me lately, like I've been convicted. Because uh, Yeshua said in the Gospel of Luke, let's say you're throwing a party or you're having a nice, a nice meal. Your first, your first tendency will, to be, will be to have people over that you're comfortable with, people that can benefit you, family, friends, the boss, whoever. And, of course, there's a place for that, right? But Yeshua said, actually, don't have those people over. Have the people over who just can't do anything for you, people that won't benefit you, people that maybe you'd be a little uncomfortable with. Have people over that you normally wouldn't have over. And then God's going to reward you in the world to come, the resurrection of the righteous. <laughs> I know, I've been thinking about that. I was telling Genevieve yesterday, like, ow. Like, I look at my life, and my life is one long story of not doing that. And um, that's an area I've been convicted in. I want to just start building relationships with people that are not like me, people that I maybe wouldn't be comfortable with, people that disagree with me, people that I wouldn't normally have over, you know, maybe even people that, I don't know, make me, like, just, you know what I mean, right? So that, this is a big thing I'm going through, I'm convicted about, and areas where I'm, like, I'm feeling challenged to change. And it's awesome, because it's going somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, like, this is something, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about it for the next couple of months, but, like, this is quantifiable stuff. You know, making disciples, immersing people, all of this. And I, I, I think often a community reaches a point where you choose between doing stuff a certain way because you always have, or maintaining a certain set of traditions, or praying these prayers because we always have, and of course these are the prayers that God really wants us to pray. And, you know, often they're very good things, but sometimes you have to choose between that and making disciples for Yeshua doing stuff in a way that will be most effective in seeing lives changed, reaching new people, going to people where they're at, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think it's, it's kind of something that obviously is happening in my life right now. I'm in a paradigm shift. It's something that we'll be discussing in the next several months. And uh, let's just keep thinking about that. Keep, keep our ear open to the Spirit for where Yeshua wants to take us and how He wants to give us some practical strategies and stuff. Um, here, let's just draw with those last couple things there. Sorry, I get talking and I forget about drawing, but I really love drawing. It's a lot of fun. So let's see, the first thing was go to who? To the nations. Okay, so let's draw a globe. Oh boy, continents. Okay, there's Europe, there's Africa, there's North America, there's South America. Yes! Okay, the nations. And that does, so if we're in Canada, that means go to Canada. It doesn't mean you have to go to Africa from Canada. It means go to the nations down your street. Okay, go to the nations and make what of them? Disciples. disciples. Okay, um, how are we going to depict disciples? Hi. Hi. Like a rabbit. 
sitting in a desk. Okay. Oh, a student in a desk. Okay. Oh, this is hard. Okay, and we'll have a book there. And um, here. This isn't just study. This is about learning from the masters. So we'll... There's the, there's the teacher. Okay. Make Tommy Deem disciples and do what with them? Two things to do with them. Okay. What's the first thing you do with them? New believer? Get them in the water. That's right. Immerse them. How are we going to do that? Um, okay, here's the beach. Make, them, make sure they believe, yeah. Okay, and then... Um, so, uh, oh, who wants to draw this one? Someone, does someone want to draw this? Okay, there's a... Okay, there's a head sticking out of the water. And when someone else is going to push them under to make sure they go down. There we are. Okay, great. And, uh, and then teach them to do everything I commanded you. How can we draw that one? It starts with love. So I'm going to draw a big heart because the biggest commandment is loving God and the second one is loving the people in your life. And then influence. Okay, so here's the guy in the desk who's learning from the master, the disciple, and he's, um, he's, he's showing someone else, hey? Okay. So, okay, yeah, right here. Here's, a, here's someone in... There we are. Cool. So he's standing next to that disciple and they're both learning from the master and he's sharing stuff with them. And then Yeshua ended his talk by saying like he isn't just somewhere out there in the cosmos. He's not a distant leader. He's right here. He said, I'm with you until like the end of the age. In other words, until I come back. So... That is the coolest thing. It's not like he said, guys, go out there and do some stuff until we see each other again. He said, like, I'm going with you. I am backing you. I will personally supply you with all the resources you need. I will, like, the spiritual power that you need, the wisdom you need, the words you need. I'm right there with you every step of the way. There's a big difference between stuff, doing stuff for Yeshua and doing stuff with Him. And I think that's the most awesome part because it's, it's actually very romantic. It's like we as the bride are going on an adventure with our Savior. He is on a mission to like save the world and we are being swept up in that mission and we're going there with Him. So you know, when you influence people towards Yeshua, when you teach them how to do the things He said, when you immerse them in His name, you're not doing that waiting until like you get to see Him again. You're doing that with Him right there and then. You're growing in your relationship with Him and uh, sharing the passion of His heart. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.